0: morning. How are you guys doing today? Good? Very good. Um, As always, um, I want to tell you how happy we are to be able to be here. Karina and I love coming here. It always feels like home. And as you heard Mark, Pastor Mark, say we're going to talk today about prayer. See, prayer is um, one of the most important parts of our spiritual lives. Um, We know You know, that we are supposed to be in constant communication with our Heavenly Father. But for some reason, um, we don't pray enough. We know that our prayer life is not what it should be. Um, I know that there are many reasons for that. Uh, Some people just don't understand the importance of of being in communication with our Lord. Some people are maybe just lazy to pray. Some people just pray at night when they go to bed so they always fall asleep, don't remember what they prayed, you know. But I found out that one of the most common reasons why people don't pray is because they don't feel worthy. You know, they don't feel that they can go to the Lord in prayer like He's not going to listen to you. You know, I have had people come to to ask me for prayer, you know, and, and it is a privilege. You know, it is biblical. The Bible says that we should pray for each other. But the funny thing is when I say to them, you know you can pray for these things yourself, right? You know, there's a phrase that people sometimes says to me, this is like, oh, I know, but I know he listens to you even more, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of a funny thing to me, you know, because, um, you know, the, the Bible does say in, in, in the uh, book of James that the, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, but I think there's a misunderstanding on how prayer works and what a righteous man is. You know, because it's not that the, what the bible is saying there is not that because you're really good he listens to you our righteousness comes from jesus christ for what he did not for what we do so he's not talking about being good but the other reason is they don't understand exactly how how prayer works and you know what's very interesting if you if you read the new testament and try to look everything you can about prayer most of the teachings are not about You know, how should you pray, or the words that you should say, or the position that you should adopt, but the fact that you should understand God's character. The better you understand God, the easier it is for you to pray. So today we're going to focus on the fact that, see, the more you understand how there is a Trinity, how that there is God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will help you understand prayer. Okay, so, so we're going to study that, but first I would like to pray for us, so, so let's go to him in prayer. Father, uh, I just love you, Lord, and, and, and we just love the fact that you love us even more, and you love us the way we are, and, and we love the fact that you want us to be in constant communication with you, but we know, Father, that we don't pray enough, so I'm going to ask you, Father, that you will talk to each person in this room today, each person that is listening to these words, that we will know how much you want to hear from us and that you will help us through our prayer, so that we can pray in an effective way. We put ourselves completely in your hands, in the beautiful name of your Son Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, um, one of our fundamental beliefs is that we believe in one God, an all-powerful God that has revealed Himself to us in three persons. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you think about it, um, when Jesus sent His His first followers. You know, to make disciples of all nations, you remember what he said to them, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there, Jesus himself is talking about the Trinity. So, and here's the thing, when you understand how the Trinity works in your prayer life, you're going to understand how prayer works, and then it's going to be easier for you to pray, and your prayer is going to be more effective. See, oftentimes what we're doing when we're praying, we don't even understand what's happening. This is kind of like what happens in the engine of your car. You know, when I lift the hood of my car and I look at the engine, I have a a, a bypassing mechanical knowledge when I was five years old, so I look at it and I have no idea what's happening there, okay? But see, people would say, you don't need to know what's happening there for you to be able to drive the car, right? And it's true, you know, I can drive the car even if I don't understand what's happening in the engine. But if I understand what's happening in the car, wouldn't you agree that then I can take care of that car in a better way? You know, I can be more careful about how I drive and the things that I do to that engine? Well, the same thing happens with prayer. If you understand what is the inner works of prayer, your prayer life is going to be a lot better and a lot more effective. So we're going to learn about that today. The first thing that I want you to look at, it's found in Ephesians 2, verse 18, where Paul is going to explain, you know, uh, how does the Christian life works in any area of your life? It says this, it says, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. See, Paul there is just mentioning the Trinity, and he's telling us how our Christian life should work. Everything in your life as a believer must be lived through the Holy Spirit in the name of the Son to the Father. And if everything in your Christian life is supposed to be lived like that, prayer life is not an exception. It has to be lived like that. So we're going to analyze each one of these three persons in regards to your prayer. Let's start with the Spirit. Number one in your program says... We pray by the Spirit. Every time we pray, we are praying by the Spirit. See, this is something that you need to really, really understand. Excuse me. See, there's not a single prayer that happens apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. See, nothing that you pray will ever get to the Father if it is not through the Holy Spirit. You may not be conscious of this, but it's true. See, as you are praying, the Holy Spirit is working, you know, and and it's praying with you. See, Paul wanted to make sure that we could see how the Holy Spirit works while you're praying and what is the impact in your life or what should be the impact in your life of having the Holy Spirit inside of you. We're going to study here Romans 8, verses 15 and 16 about the Spirit, and look at what Paul says. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, Paul here is teaching by Contrast. He's trying to show us what the effect of the Spirit's presence in your life is not and what the presence of the Spirit in your life should be. See, on the one hand, he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So the effect of the Holy Spirit in your life is not that you're going to go back to be afraid of God's judgment. See, when you read the the Old Testament, you see that the emotion that came to the people when, when they heard the word God was fear. So he's saying, no, 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 no. Once you receive the Holy Spirit, you're not going to go back to fear. He says, instead, you receive the spirit of adoption as sons. So it is through the Holy Spirit that we truly understand that God has adopted us. And this is a wonderful news. See, because what Paul is saying is, he didn't just forgive your sins. He adopted you, he made you a member of his family, and this is, this is something that it's amazing, you know, because uh, one thing is to be forgiven for something, but a very different one is to make you part of the family of the person that forgave you. Uh, do you understand, for example, what the presidential pardon is? You know, that the president has this uh, ability to pardon a person if he sees a, the, a person that's been accused of a crime and it's unfairly accused, he can say, I will pardon this person. He forgave him, that's fine. But that doesn't make him a member of the family of the president, right? I mean, just because he forgave someone, gave him pardon, the guy cannot show up the next day in the White House, knock the door, and say, like, I came for dinner. What's up? You know, it's like, he's not a part of the family. But the Holy Spirit is telling us, it is you that have been now adopted into his family. He actually says, it is because of the Holy Spirit inside of you that you can now cry out to him and say, Abba, Father. You know, the word Abba was uh, the the term that little kids would use to refer to their parents. They would say, Daddy. You know, it says that the Holy Spirit inside of you makes you understand that He's your Daddy, that you can call Him Daddy. You know, this is the way that Jesus talked to the Father. He said, Abba, Father. So the work of the Holy Spirit inside us, you know, shows us that we can go to God with the same intimacy that Jesus used. And look how He ends on that passage. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So see, first he he shows us that because of the Holy Spirit, you can go and say, Abba, Father. But now he says, he gives you the certainty that you are a child of God. See, I am convinced that these two concepts work together, hand to hand. See, it is when you go and say, Abba, Father, that the Holy Spirit gives you the certainty that you have been adopted by him. So, so, what Paul is saying is that prayer itself is a means of assurance. When you go to Him and you say, Abba, Daddy, Father, you know, in that moment, the Holy Spirit makes you feel that you're actually, truly His Son. So see, if you're feeling a little bit insecure about um, your spiritual life, when people come and say that to me, my question is always, are you praying enough? Because it is when you go with your open heart and you talk to him as a father that he makes you know that he is your father. Now, it doesn't end his work there, the Holy Spirit. No, he doesn't just get you started with prayer and then leaves you alone to it. You know, he will continue helping. Look at verse 22, Romans 8, I'm sorry, 823. It says, and not only... Um, The creation, when you start reading that verse and the first part that says, and not only the creation, it begs the question, what is he talking about? And, And for that, we have to go to the verse before. See, the verse before says, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And then he goes on 23 and says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, this passage is showing us the internal tension that exists in the life of all believers. See, on one hand, Paul says, we are groaning inwardly. But on the other hand, he says, we are awaiting eagerly. See, the first one is something that is not very desirable. Because it says that we are groaning with, like, the pains of childbirth. Uh, have, have you ever been during childbirth? Have you been present during the birth of a child? Yeah? Desirable? Not desirable. Not desirable. Not desirable, right? I mean, it's like, it's something that, you know, I I always tell people that, uh, you know, when when I got married, I fell in love with Karina. I always said to God, Father, please, anything that's going to happen to her, let it happen to me. You know, when she had the first kid and I was there, I said, thank you, Lord, that it's the woman, you know. (laughs) Uh, Not desirable, right? (laughs) So, on one hand, he says, we're groaning inwardly with pains as childbirth, But on the other hand, We're experiencing something exciting. We're waiting for something that is going to be wonderful. So this is the reality of the two conditions that exist in the heart of a believer. See, Paul already said that we have received the spirit of adoption. That's a reality today. Okay? You know that for sure. But it also tells us that we're waiting eagerly for something that has not happened. What are we waiting for? The redemption of our bodies. So we're not there 100% yet, which means we marvel, you know, we're happy with what we already have in Christ, but at the same time, we yearn for what we know is going to come at some point. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit, because our body is weak. See what what he says, Ned, it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. See, he helps us when we're weak and we don't even know what to pray for. Isn't it true that sometimes, you know, maybe the pain is so, so big, or we're just exhausted or confused, and we don't even know how to pray or how to start praying. You know, when when people that you love all of a sudden fall ill, and you don't know that there's going to be an answer to, to that illness, you don't even know if you're supposed to pray for, for, for deliverance, for the illness, or for you know, endurance to go through. And that's like You don't even know how to start. But look at what he says. He says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, these are very encouraging news. See, as we're trying to pray for the Father, even if sometimes you don't even know what to say, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Is praying with you. Isn't this amazing? See, he starts taking over with you over the prayer. See, and this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit will take over completely the prayer. Who okay, be quiet. Clearly, you don't know how to pray. You know, you don't even know what to say, so be quiet. I'm, I'm going to pray for you. No. It, it says that he's going to partner with you as you pray. So the, the image that came to my head was, have you ever seen a father teaching his son how to play golf? You know, usually what they would do is they would come over the sun and put the hands on top of the, sons of, you know, the hands of the sun and grab a club and then they will do the swing together and he will move the arms of the sun to take the shot. But if you're looking at them doing that, you don't really know who took the shot. Actually, they both did, right? But one was guiding the other, and this is what Paul is telling us. See, he accompanies us. You know, he will pray with us, but at the same time he's praying for us. And then he finishes the passage saying this, which to me is amazing. says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, what he's saying is, God knows your heart. He knows what's in there. But he also knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit is interceding for us in harmony with God's will. So as you're praying to God, God's praying for you, and when you're praying by the Spirit, our prayers are presented to the Father according to His will. So what the Spirit is doing is kind of like directing your prayers. He starts taking over, and He starts taking your prayers to what the will of God is. So you start saying things, and the Spirit takes them and says, like, what He's trying to say is this. You know, and he's, <laughs> but, but you're saying them with him, so you start realizing what the will of God really is if you let him lead. So, so, so this is amazing to me, see? So we always pray uh, by the Spirit, and if you always do, so it doesn't matter how confused, how much in pain, you know, how exhausted you are, your prayers are never wasted because you're not praying alone. The Spirit's praying with you. Okay, so we pray by the Spirit. Number two, we pray in the name of Jesus. We always pray in the name of Jesus. And for you to understand how important this is, see, you have to understand that the most beautiful, most intimate, most profound relationship that has ever existed is the relationship between the Father and the Son, See, one of the things that Jesus made clear to his disciples all the time is what a loving relationship he had with, with his Father. See, he said things like, I do as the Father commands me so that the world may know that he loves me and I love the Father. He said, the Father loves the Son and he has placed everything in his hands. God said about Jesus, this is my Son whom I love. You know, he wanted to make sure that we understand that that was a loving relationship. And and, and this is why this is so important for you to remember at all times. Because, you see, the work of the Son, the work of Jesus, is to open up that relationship to you and to me. He's opening up the relation between he and the Father, and he's asking you to join them. You know, to make possible for us to enjoy the same relationship that he has had with the Father eternally. See, we're going to read some verses in John 17. Um, John 17, the whole chapter is a prayer. And I want you to be aware of what we're about to read because, see, when you hear Jesus talking to his Father in prayer, it's like eavesdropping in a conversation of the Trinity. You know, you're like behind a curtain, you know, like sneaking in and listening to them talk to each other. And this is what we're hearing here. Uh, John 17, verses 22 and 23 says this. Jesus speaking, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Did you hear what he just said? He says that God sent Jesus to the earth so that we would understand that God loves us just as he loves the Father. See, this is why we go to God in Jesus' name, because God loves you the same as he loved Jesus because of Jesus. Do you understand that? It's like the reason why God loves you as much as He loves His Son is because of what His Son did. And, and, and when you understand that, then you can go to Him and say, Hey, I'm coming in Jesus' name. See, I'm one of them that, that He said in that verse. See, this, this became very clear how, how important it is to understand a few years ago, well, many years ago. you know, um, I think I have shared this with you before. Um, before I became a pastor, I was a business consultant. Um, I taught high-level executives, uh, human relations, and uh, leadership. And, and at some point in my career, um, the owner of one of the companies hired me to become the executive vice president of his company. This was like a you know, multinational company with hotels and marina and golf you know, clubs and stuff like that. And... Um, And at some point, there was a meeting in Acapulco, in Mexico, uh, that all the owners of hotels in Acapulco were having, because they were having a problem with the union and they wanted to make a strategy to face them together. And uh, for, I don't remember what reason, the owner of the company couldn't attend that meeting, so he called me and said, okay, Marco, you have to go in my name. Please go to the hotel and stay, you know, there was a trade show going on, so stay there for a few days and go to that meeting and report back to me. So my wife and I, you know, flew to Acapulco to go to this meeting. You know, I had been to hotels uh, for work many times, so I knew more or less what to expect. But when we got to Acapulco, I mean, we were just blown away. You know, when we came out of the uh, at the airport, I was expecting like a a driver with a little sign that said my name on it to take me to the hotel. But to our surprise, waiting for us at the airport was the general manager of the hotel you know, with a driver. And he was waiting there. They had, you know, bottles of water and cold towels. And they were, Mr. Monroy, welcome. We were like, "Mm," you know. They got us into the car and they drove us to the hotel. You know, on the way there, he asked us what our schedule was going to be for the next few days. We told him, so we got there. And they take us, you know, to the penthouse, to the presidential suite, a two-story room like in the 17th floor overseeing the bay of Acapulco. I was like, what? You know, some amenities in the room that we had never seen in a hotel. You know, we go down after we checked in and stuff, and, and he says, okay, you told me your schedule, so now we have programmed for you a culinary trip for the next few days. So for the next few days, we had a, a driver that took us for lunch and dinner to the best restaurants in Acapulco with the best views. I mean, they just treat us in an amazing way, you know. Uh, at the end of our stay, when we were reluctantly leaving, you know, we were like... <laughs> <you know? laughs> the guy says to me, you know, like, thank you so much for coming to the hotel. I was like, "Any time, man." It's like, you know, it's like, just let me know. We're available, you know. Like, <laughs> but you know, when I thought about it later, see, the only reason why we were treated like that is because we went in the name of the owner. You know, we were representing the owner. If I had gone on my own name, they, you know, I would have had to pay a taxi to the hotel. They would have given me a room in the first floor, and I would have had to eat from the buffet. You know, like every day. You know, well, this is exactly the same thing that John is trying to tell us in John 17. When you go to the Father in the name of the Son, you go at the same level as the Son. You get there and says like, I'm one of Jesus' friends, I'm, I'm one of them, you know? And then He receives you as His Son. You don't come as a second-class citizen or second-rated person. You come at the level of Jesus. And, and I don't know about you, but... You know, I really need to remember that every day, I have to remind myself, preach to myself this all the time. And I want to tell you why is this so important? There's a couple of reasons. First of all, see, you have to understand that when you go to, to, to the Father in prayer, you're not trying to start a, a relationship with someone. You're not trying to come to impress him and see if he's going to receive you and be a friend to you. What you're doing is you're joining to a relationship that has been great for eternity. You're not trying to create a good dynamic with God. You know, you're invited to join in a perfect dynamic that has been happening through all eternity. And this is why we, name, we pray in the name of Jesus. See, when you remember that this is why you pray in His name, it reminds you that you're not praying in your own name. You don't go in your own name. You know, and that's something else that I have to remind myself all the time because if, if I ever you know, have the temptation to go in my own name, Either my prayer life is going to be very hard, or it's not gonna be very effective, and I'm gonna tell you why. See, it may happen to you that one day you have this horrible day as a believer. You know, maybe you oversleep, you wake up too late, so you don't have time to read your Bible, to pray for a little bit, you just run into the shower, shower and have the time, get out of the shower, get dressed, you know, ignore your family, run into the car, start driving. You know, Since you're in such a rush, every driver is your enemy. You no, know? I mean, it's like you're driving, it seems like everybody got together and had a meeting and said, let's obstruct him as much as possible and nobody's letting you pass That you're there like, cursing at people, saying ungodly things. You know, So you get to your office and you get in a bad mood and you're there You know, like you're know, giving faces to everyone. You're short to people. You fall into the temptation of being impatient and maybe you miss opportunities to share with someone or, or, or to notice that somebody's in need. You know, that you probably would've given someone a hug or listened to them, but you're instead so concentrated in your anger that you ignore everyone. And then you get to your house and, and you're angry with yourself because you know the kind of day that you have caused. But then you're cold and distant to your wife or your kids. And, and at the end of a day like that, you don't really have the face to go in prayer to God. Because you think you're going in your name. And you think, I'm not worthy of that. He's not going to listen to me. Look at the day that I just had. But see, the other side of that coin is just as dangerous. Because you, you, you may have a beautiful day as a believer. Maybe you woke up like an hour before the alarm went off. You know, you felt rested, so you read the whole book of John before showering, you know, and you got all this wisdom and knowledge, you kind of float into the shower, you know, right? And then you get out, and and you're just a loving husband or wife, and you talk to your kids, and and then you live with so much time to spare that you're driving, you're letting everybody pass in front of you, everyone. everyone is surprised at the 290 that you're just letting everyone in, you know? And you get to your office and and you're just being loving to everyone so you notice this person is in need and you start sharing with them and all of a sudden you realize you have an audience and they're all listening to you eagerly and a couple of guys give their lives to Jesus and you baptize one in the bathroom and, you know, like the whole thing, you know? And then you go to your house and you're just ecstatic so you share with your wife or husband and you love them and your kids and stuff and see, at the end of a day like that, Your risk is, you're going to think, of course I can go to God in my own name. Just look at the day I had. He's going to be thrilled to listen to me. But see, we can never, ever, no matter the kind of day that we had, go to him in our own name. Because we're not received by the Father because of how good and great we were today, but because of the blood of his son Jesus Christ at the cross that allowed us to become one of them so this is why we go to him in his name actually it is because we go in his name that we can go at all so we always pray in his name and number three we pray to the father we pray to the father we pray by the spirit in the name of the son to the Father. When, when, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, do you remember what he said? When you pray, you should pray like this, our Father. You know, pray to the Father. Now, does that mean we're not supposed to ever pray to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit? They're God. You know, it's three gods in one. You know, it's like, three persons in one single God. So there's actually uh, evidence in the New Testament of prayers that are directed to Jesus. But I think that what Jesus was teaching us is that we pray mainly to the Father, okay? So uh, we pray to the Father, and and listen, I know that when we go into the subject of praying to the Father, we get into a tender ground because we have no option but to filter all our knowledge to the experience of life here on earth. So when I say he's a father, you, you, you may think, well, I didn't even know my father. I, I know some of you were probably rejected by your father. Some of you are probably struggling right now just to forgive your father. And I'm sure many of you are, are, are grateful for the father that he gave you. But see, this is the thing. Regardless of the experience that you had here with your earthly father, you have to learn to define fatherhood by who God is, not by who your father on earth was. You have to learn to see this through the Father in heaven. See, in Matthew 7, Jesus was trying to teach us two things about how should we see the Father. And the first one that he taught us in um, verses seven and eight in Matthew 7 is that God is accessible, he's available to us and He wants to give us. See, it says this: it "says Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open." So, see. To begin with, this crushes the idea that we have a distant and disconnected God. There are some people that want to, to, to create the idea that God created the universe. He set it, you know, to, to work in, uh, according to certain physical laws and then just let it go in motion and it's not paying attention to it. But what Jesus is telling us here is that the same God that created you is interested in you. He's not just close in theory, he's available to listen to you, you know, and and, and actually, see, he doesn't only say one time, you know, seek for him, talk to him, knock. It's a present, but it's continuous. What he's saying is, you have to keep asking, you have to keep seeking, you have to keep knocking, because your Father in heaven is eager to answer your prayers. You know, he's more eager to answer your prayers than we are to pray, amazingly enough. But he's saying he's accessible, he's available, and he wants to answer your prayers. And the second thing that he wanted to teach us is that our Father in heaven is a good Father. It's a perfect Father. Look at what he says in verses 9 to 11. says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus says, like, you that are evil, and I find very interesting that, you know, that, that happened in the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of people around, but nobody complained. He says, you're evil. And everybody's like, yeah, well, you're evil. You know, like, we know our hearts. And he says, even if you're evil, you know how to give good things to your children. try to imagine what the perfect father who is in heaven would do. He loves to provide for us. But see, we make a couple of mistakes in regards to these two things, and you have to make sure that you avoid falling into these mistakes. Uh, James identifies these mistakes very clearly in James 4. So the first mistake, we can see it in the last part of verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. See, we forget that God loves to give us, so we don't ask. See, um, I don't know if you saw this a uh, few years ago, um, uh, WestJet, an airline, uh, they, they, they came up with this, uh, you know, like, commercial plot, you know, to, to draw attention to the airline. Uh, when the passengers that were going on a flight very close to Christmas arrived to the departure lounge, right next to the departure lounge, there was like a, a, a Christmas bending machine. It, it was very interesting. It had a little sign that said, scan your boarding pass. You know people sat down and we're looking at the machine and then all of a sudden, you know, a person goes and scans the boarding pass and in the screen shows up a Santa Claus. You know, it says, So what do you want for Christmas? So the first person was cut by surprise. like, well I like a pair of socks. It's like, all right. And then another one came and scanned, and they started asking for things. And a guy asked for a widescreen TV, and this lady asked for, for uh, airplane tickets to visit her family. There were kids in the flight, so some of them asked for video games and consoles and stuff. And then they boarded the plane and forgot about it. But to their surprise, while they were on the air, you know, employees of the airline were at their destination, going to shopping malls and everywhere around the place to buy everything that they had asked for. So when they came out of the plane and went to the conveyor belt to wait for the luggage, what started coming out were wrapped presents with their names on it. You know, so in the beginning they're all like, what? You know, the luggage starts coming, it's like all presents. So they start looking and start seeing names. So they're like, what? So they start grabbing the presents and opening them and you can see, if you look it up, you Google it. You know, the kids are like, oh my God, the video games. And you know, and it was amazing. When I saw it, I thought, what a cool thing. I wish I had been there. You know? <laughs> But then, you know, when I started thinking about it, I thought, I wonder what was going to the head of the person that asked for socks. (laughs) If you see the video, you see the guy with the socks looking at the guy with the widescreen TV like, you know, (laughs) what a fool did he feel then, no? Well, I want you to understand, that's a picture of your prayer life. It says, you don't have because you do not ask. You forget that your Father in heaven loves giving you. Loves that you will get exactly what is best for you. But that's the second mistake. See, in verse 3, James 4, verse 3, says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, the mistake, the second mistake we make is we use prayer as a way of trying to get God to align with our plans. You know, we start confusing prayer, and instead of trying to do the will of God in our life and glorify Him and fulfill our purpose, which has to do with other people and not with ourselves, we confuse and we think it's the phone to room service and call and say, I want this, I need this, this is what I think is going to make me happy, so please give me this. Listen, your Father in heaven is so good that He will never give you just what you ask. He will give you what is best for you. So sometimes you're going to ask, and He's not going to give it to you because He loves you so much, He would never do that to you. He will not give you something that is going to take you away from the path, that is going to end up ruining your life, that is not going to help you learn the spiritual lessons that you need to learn to get closer to Him. See, Tim Keller um, wrote a book on prayer, and, and, and he says that uh, God gives us what we would have asked If we only knew everything He knows. See, if you knew everything that God knows about your life, about what's about to happen, about the things that you're going to face, about the changes that are going to occur in the economy and everything, you would be asking for the perfect things. But we don't know. So we have to trust Him, knowing that He is available. That he wants to give us, he wants to provide, but he's good. So he's always going to do what is best for us. So, this is how we should pray. We should pray by the Spirit, who prompts us to call him Daddy, you know, who, who comes along with us and helps us pray and, and, and even directs our prayer in the proper direction if we allow him. We have to pray in the name of Jesus who has opened up that relationship to us that we can come to him as his son at his level. And we have to pray to the Father who's always good, who's always there, who loves to hear you pray and who loves to give you exactly what is best for you. And you have to understand that. See, if if your life of prayer is not what it should be, you have to ask yourself, why, why is it? Could it be that I'm not trusting that God truly loves me as He says He does? Could it be that I'm just trying to go on my name, you know, so it doesn't really work, I don't feel worthy, I don't, I don't even think He's listening to me? You need to pray by the Spirit in the name of the Son and to the Father. So every time you're praying, you can be sure the proper prayer will arrive to the ears of the Father who loves you and will provide for you and direct your life in a way that is going to glorify Him and fill you with joy.